Welcome to the Jesus Collective Podcast. This is where we explore third-way leadership in a polarized world, and we ask what it means to keep Jesus at the center through it all. We hope you'll find the conversation meaningful and that it equips you in your context with fresh approaches to facing some of the most challenging leadership and ministry questions of our day. And hey, if you're new to Jesus Collective, welcome! We are a relational network of churches and ministry leaders with a vision to unite equip and amplify a movement that is all about Jesus. You can look us up on social media or head to our website at JesusCollective.com to learn more, find out what it means to get involved, all that good stuff. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's get on with the podcast. Welcome to the Jesus Collective podcast. We are really excited to be back with you. If you've been tracking with the podcast, my name is John Hand. I am called the Leadership Formation Pastor of in Jesus Collective. And if you are new to Jesus Collective, uh, just a little bit about us as we introduce ourselves. We are a relational network of like-minded uh, churches who affiliate and of different partners, church leaders, thoughtfully engaged lay leaders nonprofit leaders, business leaders who want to put Jesus at the center. And our vision is that we would unite, amplify and equip a Jesus centered movement. We believe there's a, a movement that's happening in the world globally that is actually bigger than Jesus collective, but Jesus collective is pointing to that movement and trying to link arms and coalesce with others around this movement of putting Jesus at the center Part of the mission of the podcast is to continue to do the work of bringing the right questions to the table of what does it mean to be a Jesus-centered church leader, to be a Jesus-centered church in our age, in this cultural moment, in these polarized times. The list goes on and on in this time of upheaval. We believe this is a moment that is... Uh, ripe for renewal for uh, for the church and for the church to bring renewal like a like a drink of water to somebody who is thirsty to our communities. Uh, and today we are excited to to feature a church that is doing just that in their community. So I'm going to hand it over to my friend and our podcast co-host Angela Lamb. Hey, I am super happy to be here. And actually, I'm really enjoying this practitioner series. We are uh, just highlighting and enjoying conversations with people that are in our orbit who are doing the things that we often talk about in theory on this podcast. So it's really fun to be in this practitioner series. And in this little season of this series, we are pointing to themes uh, to our event that is coming up, Unite in May, and we'll talk more about that at the end, but we are picking out parts of the conversation that we will be having at Unite and just zeroing in on them with practitioners in our orbit. So we're super happy to have Heidi Schaff and Frank Allen here from the TAB in Alberta. And by way of introduction, uh, Heidi, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself first, just what does it look like to be Heidi Schaff at this time of life? So I am a mom. I am a wife to a fairly radical husband. And uh, I am also a 
uh, I'm our community, our family life pastor. And so I take care of our kids. I take care of our youth and pretty much anyone else following <laughs> going on 15 years. It doesn't really matter if they're human, they sort of fall into my role. Uh, so that means hanging out with people from various different types, uh, whether they're in the church or out of the church, however they are connected, they are part of my life. And all of the next-gen pastors in the airwaves are like, oh, yeah, we get it. <laughs> we get it. That is exactly all the humans just sort of fall under that umbrella. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks for being here, Heidi. All right, Frank, your turn. Right, what is it my turn. Like? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's a... Uh... Such an interesting season for certainly post COVID, or, or I don't know if it's even post COVID, especially for our family. Uh, considering uh, uh, my wife has a, a kind of a pretty serious critical illness, and so you know that's, that's part of my story right now. Uh, on top of that, I've got five kids: um, one one bio kid that's uh, twenty one and third year of university, almost fourth year, I guess now. Um, and then we foster a whole bunch. And so I've got a 22 year old foster daughter, and then we have, a uh, some littler ones, a five-year-old, a six-year-old and a nine-year-old. And so it's, uh, all of, all of my kids also have some special needs as well. And so it's always interesting. <laughs> and I feel like special needs kind of fits the theme of just lots of, lots of things in our community as well. And we just have, I don't know, a, as a church in the season, I think we've found our place in, in helping those, supporting those with needs and whatever that looks like and just truly being a family. And so I am lead pastor of, of a church uh, called the tab. And uh, we're excited about the unique things that God is shaping in our community. And really it's seems to keep coming back to the story of just loving people. So it can't be that simple. <laughs> I know, I know. You Seems know, one impossible. of the key elements hearing Frank's story is a really great family ministries pastor. <laughs> like he has <laughs> invested in that cause. That is in your best interest. That's so can you tell us a little bit? The we've wanted to have this conversation with you because of the things that you are doing inspire us truthfully they inspire us the way that you see your community and are pastoring in a post-christian context so maybe could you spend just a little bit of time and maybe from two different angles Heidi you have a unique vantage point for families inside of a post-christian context but can you tell us a little bit about the town where uh, the tab is so that we get a picture of the context in which you're serving can I add to that too? We have, we have a lot of listeners who are not in the Canadian context. So could you add some flavoring for them of what, what do you think might make your context unique in the Canadian landscape compared to other landscapes or U S landscapes, That's European landscapes? Yep. Okay. Uh, so Lethbridge is a little bit unique. We border uh, some of the largest reservations lands in uh, in Canada. Um, we have a very transient population in uh, Lethbridge. We also have a very low income uh, families. We have lots of uh, people who are struggling with poverty. Um, I believe that we have some of the highest child poverty rates um, in Canada. And so uh, my husband and I actually had worked for um, well, myself for about 15 years and my husband for almost 20 
over at a street mission in town before we had uh, moved along and I worked with the youth there. Working with people now, the thing is, is that our life has been like, it's always about people who are sort of an outsider. They are always on the outside. They're always not really um, what you think are conforming. They don't necessarily fit. And so, I mean, as we look into post-COVID, I mean, so many of us are not feeling like we really fit very much. So. Yeah, yeah, it is a, it's a, Lethbridge is a really unique city. Yeah, I, I've had the privilege, this is my, my ninth city in Canada, actually, that I've lived in. And so it's uh, seen, seen a fair bit of the country. No kidding. Uh, from Ontario all the way to Vancouver, lived in, born in Ontario originally. But um, you know, Lethbridge is, it's like 100,000 people. Um, Southern Alberta, uh, where we are, some would kind of say, um, we are, <laughs> have been often referred to as the Texas of Canada, and you can unpack that oh. however, however you want to unpack that. <laughs> Certainly feeds into the, the story of our, our religious culture here, as we have, uh, you know, even up to about 10 years ago, they would say it was 75 to 80% of Lethbridge called themselves Christian of some form. They have a very large... Oh, that's like very, Bible Belt stats yeah, it is. Yeah, in so the States. It, but it's dramatically changed, you know, in the, the last census, they brought that down to between 60 and 65 and which is still high. Um, uh, we have a very large Mormon population or Mormon group here. Um, it's just a very unique dynamic city when you have very strong religious stuff. And then you throw in the fact that we're also, you could call us a college town of the, of the hundred thousand people, about 20,000 are, are either Whoa. working at or attend our college or university in town. So, huh. so we have this very unique mix of, lots of political issues and, and challenges. And then of course, as, as Heidi mentioned, we've got a lot of, um, a lot of, a lot of addiction issues and low income. Uh, at one point up to a few years ago, they just shut down the safe consumption site that we had in our city, but it was the most used safe consumption site in North America, second in the world, averaging over 500 accesses a day. <laughs> and we have some of the highest uh, overdose uh, deaths from fentanyl and um, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful city and we love it here, <laughs> but it, it has a lot of challenges and there's a lot of unique opportunities and unique dynamics. I think, um, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting for me. I've been here for uh, 12, 13 years now living in the city and it's been a, a sense that God has you know, placed us here for such a time as this. And especially the community that we're a part of the, the space that we get to play in the midst of this whole story of our city is uh, something we feel very passionate about. So, so I think that's fascinating about your city, Frank. I'm really curious because I think context, context matters so much in these conversations and it creates who you are as a church and you contribute to the context. So what, what what's contributing to the disparities in your town? How do you go from being an oil and gas, you know, you're in the oil and gas province, you're, you've got this 20,000 person like university in your town, and then you're the highest safe use center in, in Canada. How does that work? Or North America? How does that work? Yeah, it's a, it's a complicated story and it's certainly, um, I don't want to, I don't want to root it completely in uh, the proximity that we are to, again, the, it's the largest reserves uh, reservation spaces in the country, but it certainly is a, that's part of the story. Um, and as such, I think what we ended up seeing because of 
how our city is kind of positioned when it did launch the safe consumption site, for example, we actually drew people from all over the place. We'd already had fairly significant um, you know, homeless issues. Our, our shelter to this day is still overflowing, desperately in need of a second one. Um, but I feel like there is there is uh, certainly a story of generational challenge that has has continually been perpetuated uh, in many neighborhoods in our community. And, and it's it's you know, when the the most kids below the poverty line part of it is um, is so rooted in in so many complexities. We have also have a lot of immigrants are, are connecting to our community. Um, we've got lots of, of different issues that that I think are make it complex. Yet I think there is this. Again, you see a, a large number of churches. We have a ton of churches. And so in some ways that almost creates this weird question around that. How does that work then? If we have, you know, some of Bible Belt's stats for, for the number of churches that we have, yet we have all of these very, very challenging issues. I think we would say um, we've got some great, great ministries in town, but the challenge of figuring out how to work together, I think is and that's true on every single level right now in our city, from our government to our to our churches, to our community programs, uh, figuring out how do we actually work together to solve some of these challenges. And I know we're not a unique community in that sense that all of us. But I think when we look at the resources and the opportunities, we feel like there is um, plenty of opportunity for us to come together and create resources that actually meet, which is really what we as a community are, are pretty focused on is, is figuring out how do we find those holes, those gaps and create spaces for people to partner together to actually meet some of these needs. So, so that's, yeah. Like when I say we've asked you into this conversation because you're doing things that inspire us. That's what we want to talk about here. Could we do one more context question? Yeah. I'm curious how the church is seen by the community, which obviously if you are part of the solution to these problems, that's going to change how the church is seen. So I don't mean to say how is the tab seen, although you're welcome to answer that too. How is church, how is religion seen in your town? I, this is a perfect question for you. You grew up in Lethbridge, right? This is, this is, you've been around for a long time. How would you, how would you answer that? Um, well, <laughs> um, let's see. I would say that church in Lethbridge is complicated. Uh, you have people who grew up in church families and are uh, comfortable and positioned there. And then we have um, a large part of people who have had um, churches want to help uh, that maybe didn't help without a ton of strings attached. Mm. And so um, it's actually, the youth that I work with are kind of complicated in the fact that it takes actually quite a while to build a relationship with the families to actually be beneficial because there is a lot of hesitation around somebody who is from church actually mm. being willing to be helpful and uh, not be trying to have ulterior motives. Yeah. I, yeah, I get nauseous when I hear that answer Sorry. And, and it's, <laughs> it's not your fault because I hear that answer. I hear that answer. Yeah. I lot, you know, we think about the post-Christian landscape, Increasingly, uh, one of the, in the, in my experience, cause I've lived in the States most of my life, but in the last seven years living in Canada, most my experience of living in Canada, which is more post-Christian, 
uh, or most more post Christendom, we could say the assumptions of acceptance around Christianity in the Canadian landscape are say more neutral to negative in perception of Christianity than in large parts of the U S uh, for sure. And I think what I'm hearing in you is that that challenge of now the church to be the church has to overcome some stereotypes and negative. You, we have now negative points in the, in the currency, you know, the coin holder that you have to overcome in order to just develop trust with people in your community. And that's one of the challenges of a post-Christian context. It does, it's run out of goodwill and currency for most people. And that's, that's what I'm hearing, which is, our own doing in some ways, <laughs> you know, we're contributing to that as the church historically. Yeah. And I guess in the context of the, of the tab and the story of the church of Lethbridge, um, you know, we've got a, the tab has been around for uh, 55 years in the city. Um, and uh, when, when I first uh, kind of got connected with this community, um, they had come through a season where um, we call it our, our near-death experience time. <laughs> and the church had had uh, a couple of incredible, strong leaders. Uh, the guy who planted it, his name is Tom Roycroft, uh, and his son, Bill Roycroft, who for 40 years, they were the, the face of the tab and really built this incredible foundation of, uh, of a community that fit a little differently in the church of Lethbridge in some ways, and that they had always been positioned um, as, as a community that's here to care, but also a community that is in some ways a, a bit of a hospital as that was a term that people kept using when I first got here was that you'd have people, especially who were burned out by church things and, and they'd come and spend a season of the tab and, and find themselves healed and moved on and, and, and in a much healthier position and, and some would stick and some would move on. And that was just kind of the story of the community. And uh, I, there's so much woven into that around the story of, of where we are today and, and why I'm excited about the things that, that we're building on that foundation today. So. Uh, because I grew up in Lethbridge, um, I always sort of knew most of the churches. I kind of bounced around to multiple churches myself. Um, but starting by junior high, everybody knew the tab as being the place that had the best New Year's Eve New Year's Eve parties. Um, the one, like, I mean, the one year, here's, here's like aging myself. They had like a much music dance party and like much music. I, right. I know. But I remember Bill coming in with stacks of pizzas. And um, the thing is, is that it was the one church that I knew for sure. It didn't matter who you were, kind of what you were, how broken you were. You were still okay to go there. So you have the tab has this near death experience. Talk to us a little bit about what's happening now. Like, I don't, yeah. let's talk about a little bit what's happening now. What is the vision? How does. Yeah. You know, I, I, I this is the fourth church that I've been involved in leadership at and, and, uh, the first one, I guess, taking the full reins of leading as a lead pastor or senior pastor. And, and so when I got here, I, man, I was grateful for the people who had mentored me before, but still had no idea what I was doing, stepping into a community that literally, you know, in the season when I came, they were in the process of exploring what it would look like to, to shut down and to fold and merge with another community. And I, I had no desire at the time when I first came, I was just, they had no 
pastor. So I was one of many pastors in the city that had come to pulpit fill for them once in a while. And, and I was, I talk about it this way that um, kind of the matriarch of the church just popped this idea of, Hey, I think you really should be our lead pastor. And I, I call it my inception moment. She, <laughs> she dropped this thing that I just couldn't shake. <laughs> I could not I just burrowed into me and certainly was, I think the Holy spirit as well, solidifying some things, but you know, coming into a community that had had a pretty interesting, stable foundation, but over the last few years before that had really, really struggled. And, uh, you know, one of the first things I had a, had a friend of mine who was a mentor who said, you know, what you should do is just listen to the people for a while. And so we actually did a series of town hall meetings. And to me, it was probably the most significant thing that has ever happened. It, it certainly is what's built for where we are right now. Um, cause sitting in a town hall meeting with, you know, 30, 30, 35 people that again had loved this community Uh, and just hearing them describe the community and the, and the things that they saw for where we were going, where the church could be uh, to me, it was actually shocking to sit in a room. There was a couple of key things. One was I'm sitting in this room with these, you know, 35 people that most of them have gray hair and most of them are, you know, certainly in a, an older season of life and, and hearing them come back to this statement over and over again, we are so passionate about youth and kids and we really want, and I'm, I'm looking around, we had, we have zero youth. That's amazing. We have have no kids. We've got, we've got really nothing in that. And and hearing them say, you know, we firmly believe that's part of, again, that's has been a part of their history. They had, again, as a community had invested and built their own camp at one point and still it's still running today and um they just have always been invested in youth but sitting with the community at the time that had nothing and saying we believe this is who we are and this is what we're going to do is impact youth in our community and i'm like all right god you got to figure this out and then you know watching as we went through that and a bunch of other key things just identifying who we are and who they felt we were and then i guess i'd say kind of that that, that Paul type story of the body, the specific part of the body that we're called to be was just so critical. And as we honed in on that, watching God just provide uh, within, you know, six months or eight months after, after saying, Hey, we believe God is calling us to invest in youth. We uh, have this incredible opportunity as, as Heidi and her family, again, she'd been leading a, a youth ministry in town that was displaced and didn't have anywhere to go. It wasn't connected to churches. And so it was, uh, she was looking for a home to move a youth group to. And I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> Answer that. <laughs> I know. And just, and that's one of just, again, a, a dozens of these little things that happened over these last few years. And, and I think a big part of it was as well. I think when you come through a near death experience, you find yourself m- much more open to saying, Hmm, what we had been doing isn't working. And maybe we need to be really, really open to exploring. And so really pre COVID we had spent, you know, a couple of years diving deep into preparation for how do we, what does it look like to be a different kind of church? And then COVID comes and accelerates it and gives us all these incredible opportunities to be a different kind of church. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been really beautiful to watch how, how a community of, you know, 35, 40 people um, and, it's not who we are today. We have certainly grown and there's uh, much, many more people who have joined us over these last few years. And, and even through COVID watching the, the kind of people that God is drawing into this community to help us really be more, even more effective and efficient at being who God has called us to be has been, been beautiful. It's been beautiful to watch and be a part of. So. So you're not, you're not saying it, I'm asking it. What, what's the like size of your community today? 
we're probably, again, it's like all churches coming yeah. through COVID. It's, it's a hard <laughs> what do you mean by to, that? How to pin that down. Certainly, you know, I think even like, like most churches, we haven't actually seen the majority of the people come back in the building, but we, we, we had actually one of the few churches in the city that chose to, to completely shut down for a, a good chunk of COVID. I think we were one of the only ones in the city actually at some points, mm-hmm. we just felt it was the right thing to do for our community. And, and so leaning into the online thing heavily certainly shifted our demographics. And uh, so, you know, today we have people who call our church home who don't even live in our city. We've got, you know, several families in Germany that log on every single week and consider us their home church. Mind blown. Yep. I don't understand yep. how that works. Yep. Um, yet again, even those in the city, we still have you know a lot of people who've enjoy online. And there's some reasons for that. We did some things a little bit differently, I think, than some other communities when we went online, but that's probably a conversation for another time. Um, but today we probably say there's at least, at least probably 250 who we call the tab home. It could be, could be larger than that. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, it's been interesting. We have still had less than half in and back in our building um, on a regular basis on Sunday, but every week, those who log in online and, and enjoy that as a way to access and connect with our community is, is continually growing too. So yeah. Yeah. I love that. So for, for our, for the listeners who are restarting or revitalizing their churches, I hope you took note of the last like eight minutes. There's so much there. And uh, maybe that's for another podcast at some point. Heidi, what is, what is when, when you guys talk about being a different kind of church and you seem to have had the tour in your town of, of the church landscape, what is, what makes uh, the tab a different kind of church as specifically as you can describe? There is a welcoming atmosphere that is, it's not just greeters. It's not just, um, do you mean your, your friendly face at the front? There are, by the time you've left generally on a Sunday, whether it's online or not, you have generally had a significant conversation with somebody who's on leadership. Mm. Um, and, and not like, you know, Oh, how are you? It's so good that you're around. Like, I mean, people come and their first time there, we're having serious, deep conversations. We, there's no questions about uh, whether or not we get involved and help. If there's a family in need, it doesn't matter if they're actually connected. Um, on a regular basis, on uh, through the week, uh, we have we have one dear lady who is. I think Facebook is open all the time, and so she is always on the like support pages. And I will get tags regularly about somebody who might need meals or might need different things. Um, so. During COVID, we started stocking our freezer with pre-made meals that can be dropped off at the drop of a hat. Um, And then uh, we will make sure that we have different connections. Uh, We had multiple uh, parts of furniture that were being stored so that we could drop them off to people as they moved or they needed things. Um, And we have a tab helps page just for if people need help. Um, so, I mean, there's lots of things that churches are doing and I know that, but there's just the minute that people connect, they are welcomed in. It is 
family and you're allowed to be just as messy as you are. You can be whoever you are. And so, I mean, even if you come in and maybe you're a little bit odd, uh, maybe some of your beliefs are, eh. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. You're still welcome. And we just want you to be there and to be loved. And no matter who you are, you have something that can be um, a part. We, Frank sort of touched on the fact that we have special needs people. Their families are feeling welcome and safe to bring their kids and their families. Um, my own son is special needs and he gets to partake in the worship. And so he is mm. up there probably two Sundays out of the month. And I mean, like, can't sing and <laughs> I mean I'm not sure that he's actually in rhythm and it's okay and right. stuff because he is passionate and there and so it doesn't matter like everybody is just welcomed in all their stuff so. yeah I love that and I'm hearing like in a post-Christian context maybe we're not trying to impress anybody but we're trying to exude Include. something that's missing right? That's not seen elsewhere. And that's more, that substance is more important than making sure whatever the harmonies are, the harmony sections <laughs> in sync or whatever. Right. Frank, I, yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit from you on this to keep going with this train of thought. Um, as the pace setter, culture setter, vision caster, yeah. what posture, like how are you normalizing mess is okay like what are the how are you normalizing that yeah i mean it's honestly for me and having grown up in church my dad i'm a Hey, almost, almost hate to say it sometimes, but uh, I am actually a fifth generation pastor actually. And, uh, growing up in church, my, and you're not an atheist. I know exactly. It was close at times, you know, and that's the thing I, I had said, I will never, ever be a pastor. I just, that's what I always said. I I just, and it's not that I had any issue with it. It's just, I said, I'll never be a pastor because I just didn't see myself fitting in you know, the experience of church that I've grown up with. And so for myself, even my own journey, I think, which even feeds into the story of the tab is, you know, I, again, I grew up on the, the hyper charismatic end actually of the church growing up. That's where my, my dad and grandfather kind of pastor uh, fell in love with and married this beautiful Mexican Catholic woman and actually got married in the Catholic church. And I actually spent some time in the Catholic church for a while from there. also connected with the Anglican church. Um, and then my first ministry experience was at a Baptist church. <laughs> and so my journey again was just a sense of, you know, finding this beauty of, of Jesus connected through all of this stuff. And, and really what I would say the have as my journey has been has probably one of the places that embodies that most of all and not even just me this is the his- history of the tab certainly there is this sense we're not about denomination necessarily there's some beautiful things you know uh, again you know we've had we've got celebrating all the different kind of spiritual gifts, but yet we have this deep connection and history working even with the Catholic church in our city and, and things like that. So it's just this very interesting melting pot. And so we find as a community, you know, centering around and celebrating the beauty of Jesus, story actually becomes that, that central like thing that knits us together where we're, we're okay with the messes. Cause it seemed like Jesus was okay with the messes. <laughs> As you look at the guys he drew around him and, and the women and the men that he journeyed with, there was some messy, messy things there. And I think coming around to that story as opposed to the, 
sometimes more pharisaic, trying to clean everything, make it perfect. Um, that's just not who we are. And so we, we talk about it on a regular basis. We, we use the, the term tab family gets used at least a dozen times, probably every Sunday to describe who we are. It's just the sense of family and, and acknowledging that family isn't always tidy and clean and perfect, but we love each other and we journey together. And, and so as a leader, I think that's really been the thing. It's just kind of echoing that in, in every part of not just the actions we do, but even in how we build our structures and our teams and, and the people we put into leadership roles and the things like that, that some people would say, what really they're not necessarily totally qualified as sometimes, <laughs> but, but trusting the sense of calling out something in them and, and creating space for each of us to grow and develop. So, yeah, you need yeah. to, yeah, you got it. Say more there. <laughs> yes. Uh, Which part? There. Leadership well, part? Well, that is one example. So when I said, how do you normalize mess? One of them is the language that you've just said. We talk about family and family is messy. We talk about Jesus and Jesus didn't seem to mind the mess. So you're talking a little bit about the language that you've used, but you're modeling what you just said right there about who you put into leadership. Like we need to hear more about ways that you're like reinforcing the language. Yeah, it's it's little things over and over. I think it's you know it is the you know um, Heidi's son who has some pretty serious special needs and and honestly is probably one of the most incredible worshipers I've I've ever seen. He just <laughs> loves worshiping Jesus and he can't speak necessarily. He has some hearing issues and and certainly some you know some cognitive challenges. But just watching him worship creates a culture where. Wow. He's just worshiping. He's engaged and it draws people into this space of, you know what, I, I guess I can't sing or I don't feel free to, but I'm watching somebody just fully engage. And so, I mean, that's one of many things. And even from our staffing, how we structure our staff and, and really building it around um, a culture of, of trying to grow and develop each of us. And it, for us, it begins with that sense of, of identity. You know, I think when I go back to the, the, the pre prep stuff before COVID the unpacking who we were. And, and we spent a lot of time talking about who we were, you know, the vision identity of as a community, but we also did that as individuals, literally our entire church went through everything from Enneagrams to, <laughs> to, to <laughs> looking at like, a pest and doing five Q with, with Alan Hirsch and, and helping each person understand more about who they are and recognizing that and celebrating each unique role that we get to play in the story that, that probably most doesn't fit inside of a Sunday morning thing and and but recognizing we're committed to to empowering and creating space for that and i think one of the examples of that would be you know someone like like heidi's husband who's on staff for us he is our our community chaplain his job is to not work in our church <laughs> really it's we're going to pay you to not work in our church how about you not come how about you not benefit those, the church? How about you and that's really the sense of how we've, you know, to build a culture that says every one of us has something and, and not that we can do that for every single person, but, you know, he, you know, he, in his case specifically, he, we have a, one of the detox centers uh, connected to our community um, has limited resources and doesn't have a ton of uh, support for creating groups and things like that. And so, you know, Dwayne has again, 20, 20 years of history working with, with people with addictions. And, and so, you know, he offered himself there and again, they don't, they can't pay him but they desperately need his services and beyond just, you know, running groups, we, uh, they need to transport people from, from the detox to programs, literally all over treatment programs that are all over the province and, and sometimes in other provinces and he'll drive people from there to make sure they get to their treatment programs and, and all of these different kinds of things that we're trying to figure out how to serve our community and create space that says, you know, 
we want to celebrate who you are and, and the process recognizing that it's not always, especially when you're discovering that stuff, right? It's discovering your identity and walking in your, your gifts and strengths. It's sometimes messy. It's like walking, right? It's watching your kid figure out how to walk. And, and sometimes it's taking those first few steps and they fall down, but creating, you know, celebrating that man, we, we call out and recognize this is who you are and you're going to walk and we're going to stand with you and support you all the way and whatever that looks like. Yeah. And, I'm, and accepting the messiness. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, my husband is, he's wonderful, but he will tell you hands down (laughs) that he has more letters behind his name than most say doctors or anything and stuff. Um, Because, and he lives with the fact that he has ADHD and he has OCD and he has, do you know what I mean? And so it translates into everything that he does. Right. And stuff having a conversation with them is not fluid and easy. Um, but that's with all the people who connect into our church, right? Yeah. We'll just take them where they are. So. Yeah. I'm hearing, <clears throat> I'm hearing loads of authenticity, which is amazing. Like maybe is one of the most gravitational forces. So attractional forces mm-hmm. that a post-Christian church could have is because I, I see you, prepping your people to live out who they are. I see you as a church saying, this is who we are. We have this in our foundations. So we need to pull it up. We need to resurrect it because we've forgotten who we are. So you come in Frank and, and, and remind them of who they are. And then as a church, you're preparing them through a pest and Enneagram and whatever these tools to remind them and to reveal who they are so that they can live that authentically and you do that in this outward focused, oh yeah, we don't exist for ourselves here, but we exist authentically. And there's a, there's a, I think there's a, uh, a gravity to that, that people who are spiritually hungry or, you know, spiritually poor are like that. I need that. I want that. There's a place for me in that. And I would, I'd love to hear some stories, maybe starting with Heidi, if you're in this really interesting context full of polarities and you're reaching people who are not church types, like what's a couple stories, maybe one from Heidi, maybe one from Frank stories that come to mind for you of people who've come to faith in Jesus and encountered Jesus at your church and have seen transformation. Um, One of my, one of my families that I'm connected with, uh, they have struggled. um, And I've, I've been blessed to work with them for numerous years and um, they have special needs kids. They have had uh, many times things with social services. Um, They've had addictions in their family. Um, And the youngest who's in my youth is uh, encountering pregnancy now. And uh, she's just, she's just young. And the family is um, we've brought them food multiple times. Uh, we've brought them gift cards. We've uh, just walked along with them. And uh, in the last few years, the mom has, uh, the mom says, I didn't know God. Um, <clears throat> my only experiences with people and God were um, people who turned my family to to social services who had them multiple times invaded and stuff. And, 
And now they're seeing someone who's just willing to come and walk with them and love them, just who they are. And that is a God that they want, is a God that just loves them and is willing to walk with them. Yeah, it's so simple. Where's your formula? Where's your Where's your strategies? Where's your like? It can't It can't just work like that. I'm being facetious. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I guess I'd, I'd add maybe a different different kind of story in the sense of I guess it really fits to where we are specifically and and you know out of out of creating a a really focused culture on, on wanting to celebrate the the unique things and callings and, and stuff that maybe doesn't always fit inside the church. I think that's it really led us to a space of saying, we recognize the needs, we recognize who we are in, in our desire to meet needs. And then it's also positioned us to really be focusing for, so, so how will we meet these needs? Who are the people that God's placed in our community or in our neighborhood or in other spaces that we're connected to that can help us meet some of these needs as a community? And that, that is actually what led us to the crazy idea that we're, we're still fleshing out and working through and building right now is uh, we're uh, right before 20 or in the beginning of 2020, January, we uh, came to our congregation as a leadership and said, we really feel God is calling us to, um, to build a next generation kind of community center for our, for our neighborhood. And uh, it was one of those crazy ideas back then when you were, you know, 100 and 120 people to say, Hey, we want to build a $10 million facility for our community. That's all. all. And, but watching a community come together and as we laid out the the reasons why there was kind of two main forces is that we knew there was lots of needs for especially kids in our community that needed support. Um, And we had some connections to to one organization specifically called youth one in our city that I had known uh, the founder of it, um, kind of helped him in his mentoring, getting him launched. And he grew this after-school drop-in program uh, to a, it's, it's a massive program now and they've outgrown their spaces and desperately needed more space. And so mm-hmm. having journeyed with him, you know, seeing the the opportunity to expand what he's doing, but also recognizing that he meets a certain demographic and hits a certain group, but um, also connecting with another lady who was part of our community. And, you know, she had been a, a violin teacher, uh, but just, private lessons in our community and shared this dream vision she had idea for for creating an after school music program and and offering free music to at risk and low income families kids in our community and it hadn't started yet and and I just said you know what we're going to help you do this we're going to it's a vision you have and I see it fits a need and we're going to make space for that to to go and we needed a building to do it and we, you know our our current building that we're in is is uh we have tons of community things it's one of these kind of buildings that's already use seven days a week uh, by different people in our community and we create space for it. So our current facility didn't have the, the, the space at the time. And so we found there was a, a, a empty grocery store near us that had been empty for quite a few years. And, and uh, we put up an offer. Right, well, guys, we first became the community and said, Hey guys, we think this is what we should do. And, and unanimously this wow. group of small group of people said, yeah, we should start exploring this. And so we ended up putting an offer in literally weeks before COVID. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Of course. And then yeah. the world goes upside down and the people who own the building uh, decide they didn't like our offer because they would like to go a little higher. And so it was, it was almost like everything kind of fell apart initially. And we were like, ah, I guess we weren't supposed to do this. And, and then we have a, and a, a few months later came across a friend who I was asking us, he's one of the 
one of the top architects in our city in a conversation. He said, you know, I'm working with some churches right now and they're, they're building vertically and kind of using their own current footprint to go vertical. And, and so he said, I, I think I could probably give you a design that would, would expand what you were like, thinking about on your own own space. And so I think the central part of this was one of the key things we wanted to make sure that whatever this community center was, didn't have our name on it. That's not, it's not a church building. We're creating a resource center for our community. And so, you know, bringing that to the congregation was always like, okay, so now we're talking about taking our current building and turning it into just something specifically for the community. Will we have access? Yep but we won't be the priority in the space. And so we are in the process of exploring what it'll look like to build a very large facility going three stories vertical on our current spot and adding a, um, just a bunch of resources for the community to expand their programming uh, along that way. It's, you know, as we've taken steps towards it, we can launched the after school program already to kind of start getting it growing and, Launching an idea like that in the middle of a pandemic is always interesting <laughs> where everything from connecting with kids when they, they weren't even allowed to go anywhere. And, um, and, but it's been amazing just watching it grow. And, and, you know, today we, so we offer, um, violin, piano, and voice to kids after school, uh, four days a week comes with a, a snack and a meal or like a meal after school with mentorship and relationship and, uh, and excited for where it's expanding next year, looking at exploring a few other things to add from recording arts and other things like that, uh, all free programming for kids in our community. So yeah, those are the kind of things I, so for, I'd say to answer the, the testimony part of it, all of that has just been watching God provide over and over, uh, the people and the resources as we you know, step out and say, we just want to, we want to meet needs. We want to help love those in our community who are hurting and struggling and, and journey with them. So. Yeah. It's vision. Like I think God, I, I wonder how much God waits for us. It's like, I'm just waiting for you guys to have like partner with me in vision. And then I'll like, I'll, I'll show up. I'll meet you in that. Just waiting for that. I'm, I'm really like, I want to invite the listeners who are part of local churches to reflect here on what you're hearing of building a building to give it to the community, like to give it back to the community. Like the, like, I just want to call out the posture of ownership that you guys have is like, this isn't ours. This, the community owns this, the sense of the impulse that you have as a church to realize this is not about you but it's about your gifts and it's about authenticity. It's about Jesus. I just think there's a lot here for churches and church leaders to, to really sit with and let soak in and, you know, infect others, <laughs> no pun intended with these ideas, mm -hmm. you know, uh, share this podcast with leaders in your church and stir their imaginations for an outward focused post-Christian church. So thank you for that. Every time, yeah. every time I engage with you guys, I am inspired and I fall in love with the tab. But I also, if this is what Jesus looks like, I cannot look away. Hmm. You just cannot. It is so compelling. So thank you for for like letting us see inside of your heart because you give us a picture of Jesus. It is so beautiful. 
it's a privilege to be able to share recognizing, man, we haven't figured it all out yet. <laughs> there is no formula that we can find so far and maybe there isn't any. And, and certainly we haven't got it all polished, but uh, excited to be a part of uh, seeing just little bits of what, where I think God has taken, like, as you, you opened off with the sense of a reshaping and reforming of the church. And, and I think that's, we're excited just to be a part of that and lean into that. And, and even with the Jesus collective, I think it's been amazing just to connect with the groups of churches and leaders who are part of this and, and share some of these ideas, hear their stories and, and be inspired ourselves as well to keep moving forward into the things we feel God calling us to. One of my personal prayers for the church is that in this next season, maybe the brokenness of this last season in this next season that we would, there's this sense of we're doing God's work. It's important work and we've got to get it right. And my prayer is that in this coming season, that the brokenness that we have experienced would would have us embrace mess and experimentation in whole new ways, that we would lay it all out and be okay with the fact that Jesus is okay with mess, which means that we don't have to labor under the sense of we've got to get it right. There's like... So the fact that it makes so much sense to me that when you have fostered this constant sense of mess is okay, that you would be on the cutting edge of experimentation and innovation because you're not afraid of the mess. And I think that is one of my prayers for the church, the North American church, for sure, that we would abandon perfection in the name of pleasing God. And we would embrace the mess that Jesus just has no problem with, like welcomes in, hugs, loves. Okay. All right, so normally <laughs> at this point, we would be transitioning into group Q&A because we like to do our podcasts live with an audience in order to have interaction. For various reasons, we're not doing this one live, but we did borrow our buddy, Paul Walker, who is our usual chat host. When we are facilitating these conversations, he is facilitating the conversation in the chat space with our live audience. This time around, instead of uh, Paul bringing questions out of the chat, we're just going to unleash Paul. Like, you're getting undiluted Paul here. <laughs> and you couldn't be happier about it. So Paul's a pastor in what I just heard was called Winterpeg, which is, I believe, Winnipeg. I'm new to Canada, but I think I put that together. <laughs> and so Paul, like, tag, what do you want to pick their brains on? All right, I'll pick up. Well, I'm going to just start by saying... Uh, when I entered this conversation, um, I had some assumptions about Lethbridge. You know, I grew up in Lloydminster, Saskatchewan, Alberta. I kind of know the Alberta context quite well. I know what it is to be an oil and gas province. I know the affluence that comes there. So about as much as I knew about your city was like, okay, they're a windy city. I know yep. that much. And uh, Incredibly windy. <laughs> a bit of a retirement city. That's what I thought, right? Like I know a lot of people that, they like going closer to the border when they retire, at least from Lloydminster. And I was surprised as I listened to your story. I was like, wow, they're, they're sharing something about their city I've actually never heard. And then again, I was surprised again, as you were talking about your leadership journey, I was like, ah, he, he did it again. You, you describe your church in ways that they like were just exciting. And so I think that the question, and this is both to Frank and Heidi, because I heard in both your conversations, the pervasive question throughout this whole conversation is who taught you to listen? Cause I hear you listening to your community in fresh ways, uh, to, to your city in fresh ways, to your church in fresh ways. Who taught you guys to listen? Go ahead, Heidi. How would you go first? Oh, <laughs> thank you. Um, 
you know, actually, I was really fortunate to have a um, youth mentor who came along uh, in my life. And he just, he was just so empowering. Um, he would walk along with me and uh, he would let me say everything that I had to say. And I was a messy kid. Um, I mean, I like, I came from a single parent home. I was kind of, I was kind of everything that are the kids that I work with. Um, and I was a disaster and he would listen to me and, um, and he would empower me and he would encourage me to go and do more. And he believed in me in a way that seemed like incredibly impossible for somebody to believe in me. Um, I mean, it didn't matter what I did. He was just right there as soon as I fell and was willing to like, listen and walk with me. And I mean, every time that I look at people, um, as much as I want to say that I look at them purely through like how God would look at them. I honestly, oftentimes I will stop and think, what would Ken say about this person and stuff? And it would always, do you know what I mean? It would always translate to what God would say. You know, something funny, interesting is your, your mentor was Ken. Mine was also a Ken. <laughs> People, oh. get a Ken in your life. <laughs> get a Ken. <laughs> Have you Barbie? No, um, you know, I, uh, I, like I said, I, I never wanted to be in church ministry and I just had grown up again. My dad is church planter. And so I, and I'm grateful for, you know, certainly he had a role to play in, in some of that, but uh, I was at attending a church at a time uh, in a light in my life where I was trying to explore more about, you know, who I am and, and, you know, feeling, feeling a sense of call to ministry, but not really knowing what to do with that. And, and uh, Ken Nettleton was uh, the pastor of the church at the time. And, uh, it certainly is probably the greatest factor in shaping who I am. He did something I think was kind of unique. He, uh, in, in a church of you know, four or 500 people, he, uh, reached out to seven guys. None of us were involved. Actually, I had a lady. None of us were involved in ministry at all. Uh, we weren't involved really most of us in any church stuff. Um, but it was something about, I guess he just, we were very involved in community stuff and this church I was attending was an incredibly missional church. So some of these guys were involved in owning their own businesses or some of them were involved in just serving in different contexts and community things and invited us to journey with him for one year. And so six 30 in the morning uh, for one year, uh, we got together uh, once a week and, uh, and just had him speak into us and teach us about the stuff of listening and hear our stories and teach us how to listen and how to respond and, and how to in, in the listing, how to call out things that, that people maybe aren't even hearing or seeing in themselves. And so uh, for me, it was a, it was a critical season. It was through that season that, you know, for me growing up in church, I hadn't even, uh, you know, I could say I could quote you hundreds of like Bible verses, but myself didn't really much read the Bible at that point. And so you know, it was actually him even listening and teaching us how to listen even to, to God, which I think was that sense of that having our ears open to everything and God speaking through his word, through people around us and all of it, this, this beautiful symphony of his, his story of creation that 
that does guide us. And if we're willing to listen, we can be so in tune with what he's doing right now, still in his creation, as he spoke before and shaped and created everything. He's still speaking and still shaping and still creating and, and inviting us to listen to him and to partner as he speaks through again, everything around us and, and those around us. And if we're willing to listen, so, yeah. So yeah, the listening is a gift. And I've heard that from both of you. The next thing that I heard from a practitioner sense, uh, as I was just imagining how you did this is both of you shared, I would say hard things. You like, there wasn't a sense of sentimentality that sometimes pervades a lot of our discussions in church, right? Like we just want a system. We, you know, we talk about, you know, maybe teaching subjects, but the rawness of people's lives, you know, sometimes we want to avoid that. And it's like, we're, we're really good at sentimentality. I mean, Stanley Hauerwas says that sentimentality is the true enemy of the church. Not doubt. It's, it's being sentimental. So my question around this is like in raising the hard stuff, for example, that, that you had in a safe injection site that was one of the most accessed ones in North America. Like how do you help your people as pastors see things apocalyptically? And by that, I mean, how do you unveil things? How do you lift it? So people are not just seeing the assumptions of like um, suburbia, affluence that we all, that I, I will say that was my assumption about Alberta is very much that. How are you helping your people push past that? I would say, you know, I, it's, a, it's a very good question because I don't even, even especially in our time right now where we are very polarized in many of our assumptions. And um, even with the safe injection site in our city, it was an incredibly polarizing issue. Uh, currently, you know, as a community, uh, whether it's been COVID issues of masking or uh, there's just so many of these things where we, we make assumptions. And I think that was a huge part of that sense of a family for us is about you know, creating space to just be, let's, let's talk about it in, in a safe way where we give space for us to share our thoughts, our opinions. And we, um, the sentimental part of it, I guess I would say in creating it as a, as, as the norm in our community has made a huge difference in saying, you know what, there's nothing that's off the table for our conversations and, and in ways that are healthy and productive, recognizing we are family. And as a family, our goal is to preserve journeying together, following Jesus. And so I don't know, I'm not sure what else, how do you have anything to add to that? Heidi? Yeah. I, w- I would just draw this out of you because you, you name the hard stuff about your kids. Like you, there's a rawness to your story, even the way you've shared the, it. Um, I think that we have to, be willing to see people exactly where they are and and not feel compelled that we have to change them we don't have to move them um right i think so often we try so hard um as the church we've tried so hard that uh there's a phrase and I know like my husband hates it and I don't like it. It's the, you know, uh, that Jesus, Jesus sees you and he sees where you are, but he's not going to leave you there. Like you're not just going to be in that one spot. You don't get to just whatever he's going to make you something. Okay. But what if who you are is who you are and that's okay. Right. Um, who you are is wonderful and God loves you actually right where you are so maybe maybe you're actually not going to change from who you are in this moment 
And actually that's okay. Um, because he still loves you right where you are. And then, do you know what I mean? What he uses you as is going to be amazing. Okay, my next question uh, kind of deals with our, our place in time. We're in 2022. And I would just say like many leaders that I talk to, there's a sense that they might be nearing a near-death experience with their congregations or their ministries that they're leading into. And like your church has gone through this. You were at, you were at death's door. And I wonder, is there a word you would say to leaders that are in that place? You know, it's interesting in, in, in like every city, there's a lot of churches. I'm connected with lots of pastors in the city. It's, uh, and I know numerous that I'm journeying with right now as well that are in, uh, in, in that very real near death. And one, one that, that has just recently said, you know, we have to think we need to shut down and uh, it's, it's a, hard and difficult and painful process. But I think, you know, if I were to encourage and to say anything as I've been saying to all the other friends that I have right now in ministry who are here is um, just create space to listen and, and to trust what God is doing in the midst of it. Um, I think for me, I, like I said, what we are, our approach to it was create lots and lots of space for the congregation to share and to talk and, and for them to share their frustrations, their pains, especially early on. Again, the, the previous few years before I stepped in, there was lots of polarizing, painful things that had begun to rip the community apart a bit. And the more that we created space for people to share and to talk and to dialogue, it really is actually what drew us together as a family. And, and out of that family experience, um, was where we began to get a glimpse of what kind of things we might want to move into and being okay with experimenting that the church might be completely different. It's one of the kind of guys I connect with now is, you know, they're wrestling with uh, the reality is as a community, they they're probably going to shut down in the current form they're running, but seeing this strong connection of people that are still, you know, wanting to connect together, they're functioning way outside of Sundays, not meeting in the same ways in the same places. And, and for them, they've been experimenting with this for the last month or so and found it's brought incredible life to the community as, as they've shifted into this, this whole new expression of what it means to be the church. And it's almost shifting back to the house church kind of micro church model. And, and so again, I, I don't, I think part of us, uh, we want, we want the formula for how to get out of it. Right. And I don't, I don't know if we have the formula other than just leaning into Jesus and, and trusting him through the process. And if anything, find someone to journey with. I think that was a big thing for this community is, you know, as leaders, we had you know people that we could talk to and, and journey with. And one of the pastors I was chatting with this last week had just said, this is, you're the first person I've actually talked to about any of this in in the entire time of COVID. And, and I feel like we isolate ourselves, especially when things aren't going well, especially all the potential shame things that come with, Oh, my community's struggling and it must be me. And yeah, no, it's, it's a hard time and, and finding people that you can trust to journey with, which is again, one of the reasons why I love the Jesus collective. <laughs> it's been a great space to connect and to share with people and to be very raw and honest and, and hear, you know, some ideas. And, and I think that's the other part I would say is, you know, as much as I had lots of ideas to come in with, man, I, I, I've been following a lot of great leaders, <laughs> a lot of great people, books and finding some, some of those cutting edge people who are asking the right questions that I needed to be asking and, and source those things out. And, and yeah, I don't know, trust, trust Jesus along the way. Uh, my next question is just, I mean, I'm so curious about this because like the way you guys talk about your messy, generous uh, congregation where you have like 
deep conversations the first time people walk in the door and you're like actively listening to people and there's just rawness, authenticity. There's so much I would celebrate there. But of course I want to know how do you, how do you do that? Like, how do you get there from a practitioner uh, sense of, of it? And so like the question I have is like, how are you apprenticing people in the way of Jesus to create that kind of culture of generosity, deep conversations, uh, sort of, a, I, w- I would describe your community as very, there's nothing consumeristic about it. Like I imagine if I showed up in your church, there'd be no way I could just like, you know, pop in and pop out and have a very passive experience. How did you get there? Like, how did you turn your people onto this? And how do you continue to sustain that? Heidi, you want to go first? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you know, the thing is, is that with each person, I mean, with each person, we just, we ask that you just look at them and look for the Jesus in them, right? And and you you talk to them ab- about, do you know I mean, it starts with life, but then, do you know I mean, you have to talk about everything that's happening, right? And as we talk with other people, I mean, the thing is, is that everyone starts doing it as you model it, right? As you are showing it, I mean, those small conversations that you have, right? And and not letting connections go, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know, I know all churches do like connection things and do you know I mean like connection cards and this, that, whatever, right? And stuff. But having those immediate, right? Getting in contact with someone immediately and asking bigger questions then, you know, how do you want to be involved in the church? No, I I don't care if you want to be involved. You don't have to be involved if you're not ready. And that's okay. But can you tell... (laughs) That's so good. (laughs) And Seth, can you tell me about your kids? Can you tell me about, like, your family? What are you struggling with right now? What is happening in your world? And those, do you mean, ask those questions. Ask about them. It's about them. It's not about... Do I mean? And once you know about them, then you know about, then you know about what they want. What are their dreams and passions? And when we involve ourselves with people, then it's easier to see how Jesus comes out. And the number so of times oh. I have heard in sermons referencing Jesus's interaction with the children, like that the disciples or the apostles were trying to like shoo the kids away. Or Jesus stopping when the woman who was bleeding got healed or the blind man, like, like the number of times I have heard those stories in sermons that did not impact me the same way as this conversation. Like, I don't think I ever really got why those stories were included in the way that they were. I think I was looking at various miracle pieces of it. And like, I, when you just, both of you are doing it, when you describe the way that you see people it just ultimately alters everything. It changes your structure. It changes your time allotments for things. It changes your pace of life. It changes, like, it just changes everything. And I I go back to John's comment of like, dude, where's your formula? It's <laughs> even more simple than that. It is like, you love people in a way beyond what I do. Like, I, I you your expression of love, your practice of love is just 
different. I think I'd add to even what Heidi was saying, just in the sense of the the cultivating that as an atmosphere and you know a culture uh, is also the sense that we, you know, when it comes to to needs and recognizing someone's needs, we we try to respond as quickly as possible, and we invite the entire community to be a part of it. And so it's you know when it comes to you know hey we know there's people in our community that need meals, uh, would you want to make some meals? And we have you know, different people finding a way to serve in that way. Um, you know if, tangibly right now we have we had a connection with some churches in Ukraine already, but as a community, we, you know, we felt really passionate about you know, what's going on there. And, and so within a couple of days, we put together some stuff and, and currently Heidi's husband, Dwayne is in Poland right now, uh, serving with, uh, with refugees and working there. And within a couple of days, we invited the congregation, Hey, there's some things we need to take. We need to be a part of this is we, we meet needs and it's messy and come be a part of it. And just watching God show up. And, you know, within a couple of days, miraculously, like 30 grand comes in to, to give, to support things over there. And um, yeah, that's just, I think it just fits with kind of the stuff of who we are. We create space for everyone to be a part of meeting needs, whatever that might look like in the community. And, 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 you know, it's, it's, it is up and messy and doesn't always work perfectly, but it's okay. We do our best. I'm so inspired by you guys. Like I've just taken some beautiful things away from this conversation. Certainly. I think you have a different style of leadership than what like a consumeristic culture would be comfortable with like leadership for you guys. What I hear you saying is that you're modeling the way it's consistently you're embodying it. So you don't have this like platform speaker where you're, you're just broadcasting messages and your leadership is in the craft of your communication. It's like your leadership is where it bleeds. It's where you're meeting your people. And I, I just want to thank you for that gift and for sharing your heart. I, I find it a huge privilege to just sit at the table and hear, hear your story and uh, grow in just my understanding of how different people are sensing God's movement in, in the church. Uh, my last kind of question, kind of a wind down question is just, how did you guys hear about the Jesus Collective? Like, and how did you guys get plugged in? Why is this uh, an important thing for you guys? I guess I'll take this one because I think it started with me for ID as well. I think uh, I, you know, I I try to keep fairly in tune with uh, just just different little movements of stuff, and I'd kind of follow the, uh, the meeting house for a while and. Um, and hearing you actually what it was for me was you you'd done a i think it was a might have been a podcast thing too where you had andy stanley on um and he shared and and it was interesting for me that was my first real real interaction and just sitting and hearing the the kind of conversations that you guys are having as a community i i listened to that entire thing and found myself just yes yes that oh exactly what i'm thinking yeah yeah, I want to know more. And, and as I reached out and uh, started the process of connecting, even with, uh, with the leaders, having the, that we put an application to be a part of it. And then sitting down with Ange actually was uh, an hour of incredible beauty as just hearing her story and connecting and, and every person I've connected to along the way, whether it's in uh, hearing some of the great, you know, foundational kind of teaching and theology conversations that are had and, and the, the smaller group stuff has been, it's been beautiful. So that's, I heard about it, I guess, through some of the events that were happening and kind of started following some of the meeting house stuff. But then certainly it's, it's for me, it's just been a beautiful journey of connecting over the last, I guess about a year. So. Heidi, did you want to add to that? I, you know what? Frank dragged us along, which was great. <laughs> and I dragged was, us. Dragged well, <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> like he sort of just presented it. I hadn't even heard about it. And then, uh, which we got, and then 
as he pulled us sort of along into it, I was like, oh, this is fantastic. I am quite thrilled that we've been brought along on this journey. So, yeah. And it's been fun. Uh, so we are doing what we're piloting an innovation lab right now. Mm-hmm. And you guys, your church and two other churches are a part of this experience. And it's just been fun to be in like partnership and in conversations with you, which leads to our shameless plug for Unite. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, Unite is our in-person and online gathering. It's really a family reunion of those who've been leaning in through podcasts or who have found us uh, by attending one of our events or who have connection and relationship with those who are in the gravity of this movement. And we're going to gather in May in Toronto area. Uh, We just heard new news as of April 1st. There's no need for COVID tests uh, for those who are vaccinated coming into Canada, which is just great news from, from the border. And uh, we are going to gather around a couple of themes, but two of the themes that we're going to gather around have showed up here today, which have been so good. One is the, what's the relevancy of Jesus and his community in a post-Christian culture? And like, wow, I feel like I've taken so many notes personally. Um, Paul, the questions that you brought to this uh, reflections and that you've pulled out of this a conversation have been so insightful. Thank you for that. And the other is power. Uh, this is a conversation that the church has to have, and we're committed to having it. We've been having it. We're committing to turn the temperature up on it. And, and uh, it's power and where I see power, the power conversation in this today is that you are growing in understanding of the, the power that God has given you as a church you're tapping into God's power to be the church in your town amongst all the tensions that exist there and opportunities. But then you're learning as a church to share your power. So your building is you sharing your power, uh, empowering people in leadership. And when it's messy is you sharing your power. And we're going to talk more about that at Unite. So if you could join us, listener, uh, at Unite, either online or in person, you can go to jesuscollective.com backslash Unite. And we would love to have you leaning in in these conversations. We will be doing this there. And um, this is what makes us us. And to everybody here, uh, Heidi and Frank, thank you so much for leaning in. This has been a gift. This is a resourcing and practical and visionary and imaginative conversation that will inspire great conversations uh, for those who listen to it, especially on team. And Ange, as always, so great to partner together in these spaces. And we just collectively sign off uh, and say goodbye. So we'd love to hear our voices just say goodbye to people. Goodbye. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us on. Thank you. Take care, everyone. (laughs) Toodle. 
for listening. Don't forget to check out JesusCollective.com where you can hear stories, find info about upcoming events and workshops, maybe even explore getting involved through partnership as a church or an individual leader. Listening is such an important part of our journey as an organization. So please feel free to reach out to us with your ideas and your feedback. Drop us a message on social media or you can email us at connect at JesusCollective.com. Here's to keeping Jesus at the center.